Uh, today or this evening, I guess it'll be in about two and a half hours uh, at sundown, uh, we'll actually begin the start of the feast of it's Shavuot or weeks, or you might remember it as Pentecost. Um, so uh, starting <coughs> um, tomorrow, which we at, at sundown, uh, is the feast of Shavuot. Um, and so I thought, you know, it would be proper, right? Since we talk about celebrating the biblical feast, that we would do that and uh, we would study that uh, tonight uh, and talk about it. Here's what's interesting about um, Shavuot or Pentecost. It's um, in Israel and among a lot of people, they would consider this like a minor holiday um, for various reasons. But what is striking about that attitude, it is one of the three, it's called pilgrimage feasts. There are three times that all the men of Israel were required to go up before the Lord and worship him. There it says where he will cause his name to be remembered. Uh, there in, uh, eventually in, in Jerusalem uh, would be Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Now, because Passover uh, is a one meal and then it's followed that very next day with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it became uh, common for everybody to go and, and just celebrate that whole week uh, together. And so sometimes they will call uh, Passover uh, Unleavened Bread or the Great Feast uh, because it's really two that were combined into one. But anyways, it is the second of the three major feasts where everybody's required to go to Jerusalem. But here's what's interesting. Before we get into the passages and, um, and talk about this, Pentecost or Shavuot is a, one of the feasts that does not have a date connected to it. So if you have a calendar, uh, like on my calendar on my phone, I have our English calendar, our American calendar on there, and then also have a uh, Hebrew calendar on there. Years and years ago, when I started to understand the keeping of the Torah and all this, everybody's like, you know, what calendar are you going by? And I'm like, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> and so to try to uh, even just try to keep up uh, with what was going on or whatever, I said, you know, I'll just, for now, until I get it figured out better, uh, I'll follow the rabbinical calendar, which is what you'll get on a Hebrew calendar. So... Um, it's considered to celebrate the feast of Shavuot or Pentecost if you're outside of the land of Israel for two days, if you're inside Israel one day, and it's on the 6th of Savan, which starts at sundown tonight. And they go through a lot of calculations on that, on how they come up with it, which is, once again, interesting. Um how the rabbis and we Christians and everybody just keeps trying to fix God's problems that we think he has, but he doesn't have any. Um, but anyways, all of this revolved around the fact that they were kicked out of the land. They couldn't tell when the barley had come into what's called Aviv, uh, where it, uh, it's a, it's a, a, 
a time during the harvest when it's at a particular point and it's called Aviv, uh, well, then that will tell you uh, when Passover is going to happen and then um, 50 days after the Sabbath of Passover, you, ha- you count seven Sabbaths and then the next day after that Sabbath uh, will be uh, Shavuot. Well, then the debate is also, well, which Sabbath? Kid you not. So if you think us Christians and evangelicals and Pentecostals and Baptists and whatever, we've got all these different sects and arguing about stuff, well, the Jews have been the same way pretty much forever. Uh, Well, there's the weekly Sabbath, which is on a, what, a Saturday during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But then there's also, what, the first and the last day, in particular the first one, uh, which is on Nisan 15, the start of Passover, is a Sabbath. So there's one group that says you count it from basically the 16th of Nisan, then 50 days and all these other things. And then there's others says, no, it's, it's the weekly Sabbath. It, it would be the Sunday of whatever, whatever that falls on. <clears throat> So for Pentecost, technically, there's no, you can't really put a date on it, even though the rabbis did. And they came up with the 6th of Savon. Uh, and just to keep things simple, I go, you know, we're not in the land, and nobody's doing this right. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but Paul says we see, but we see like through the glass dimly. All of us are basically giving it our best shot to follow God, follow what he said. Um, and there's certain items in here that are confusing and there are certain things in here that we have complicated and confused uh, and made it harder to follow. So <clears throat> you'll have people celebrating it on different days and different times and people that'll say, yeah, but if you do it on the 6th of Saban, you're just following the rabbis and you're being rabbinical, blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, um, it just makes it easier right now for us to have a day where we could say, this is when we're going to celebrate it. And on top of that, we're not in the land. But I, but I want to tell you this, there's going to come a day, I think in the not too distant future, when Yeshua is going to come back and he's going to fix all of it. Amen. <laughs> so <clears throat> all of this, if you've got your notes, it really starts, if you will, in Leviticus 23. This is the chapter where God lays out his appointed times, where we use the word feast, it's his appointed times for him to meet with us. So uh, I gave this to you tonight. I pr- think I pretty much used the ESV throughout. It just seemed the wording seemed a little bit easier to follow. Um, that was the only reason why I chose it tonight. Um, th- and so uh, picking up in Leviticus 23, starting with verse 15, uh, we'll start our discussion in, in our, uh, on this. <clears throat> and it's uh, verses 15 through 21. It says, You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that uh, you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. You shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord, You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. 
They shall be a fine flour and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish and one bull from the herd and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day and you shall hold a holy convocation and you shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. So one thing, a few things in here I do want you to pay attention to was um, he says you're to count full seven weeks and then it's the day after that seventh Sabbath uh, that you're to do this and you're to hold a holy convocation which once again, those of you that have been here for a while, which really means what? It's to be a rehearsal. And it's to be something that we're to recite and we're to say and we're to celebrate. And then it says, and you're to bake these loaves of bread and you're to bake it with leaven. Uh, and then you're to take this and you're to wave it before the Lord. There's other places, and I think we'll get to it in a minute. Depends on time and uh, I've got a lot of verses in my head. <clears throat> where we're also told that we're supposed to, no one is supposed to come before the Lord empty-handed. So the idea is that we're to come and we're to celebrate. And so some of you here, some of us here, uh, might be asking, well, and how does this relate to us? And on and on and on. Well, uh, to jump ahead quite a bit, I'm, we're not going to read it just yet, but this is where you have the Acts 2 event. Pentecost, you know, and everybody has their Pentecostal moment and all of that, you know, stuff, which is all taken out of context. <clears throat> but even still, uh, and then people will refer to that event in Acts chapter 2, watch this, as the birth of the church, which is quite honestly ridiculous. Um, the followers of God have always been on this earth, amen? Amen. Now, was it an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Yes. We'll get to that in a minute. <clears throat> um, but I wanted you to note or notice here that it's 50 days from this <clears throat> time of the Sabbath during Passover or during the unleavened bread. Um, but you don't know really when that's going to happen until the barley comes into Aviv. And that's why sometimes there's even literally an extra month waiting for that to happen. Uh, because when all this was happening, Israel was an agricultural society. And you literally praised God for the food on your table because most of us were growing it or harvesting it ourselves. You know how we harvest food now? It's called Kroger or Costco. Uh, or Tom Thumb, or wherever it is that you shop, <clears throat> and there's a good chance uh, that some of that food came from out of this country. 
Um, we don't really harvest it ourselves. Uh, we've lost that connection um, with the struggle of growing things, raising things, and it either growing or the weather cooperating or the animals dying or whatever and being thankful that you have food. And so <clears throat> they would come together and they would celebrate. And he says, and what you're gonna, you're gonna wave this before me. Uh, and then you're also gonna bake this bread with leaven. This is the only time in all of the feasts where God commands his people you're, to, you're going to do this, but you're going to use something in that you're going to use leaven. It's a commandment to use leavened regular bread. Fascinating, huh? Um, so that I don't believe that that leaven is really representing sin as much as it is is bringing all the people in and into God's kingdom. And we'll see that here in a moment. It's also connected with uh, the giving of the Torah. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, Sukkot, or, uh, or Shavuot, I'm sorry, or uh, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, has down through the ages been connected with the moment when Israel was out at Mount Sinai and heard God speak. When he spoke to them and gave them the Ten Commandments and gave them the Torah. So it's also a time of celebrating when God gave us his instructions on how to live with each other and how to honor him. Pretty cool, right? And I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I didn't mean to bring this up, but it just went through my head again, and I hope this is from God. Uh, but did you know that there is growing evidence, archaeological, linguistic evidence that the first actual letter alphabet, meaning a language using letters for alphabets, for, for the alphabet, for teaching, was Hebrew and was the giving of the Torah. Before that time, all languages were basically based on pictographs of some kind like in Egypt or whatever. And you had to be an incredible scholar to even understand that stuff because sometimes there'd be thousands of pictures representing different words and different ways that words were used and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you had to be like a trained scribe to even be able to write the stuff, much less read it, right? So this is another reason why when God said, this is gonna be your blessing, and your honor, and that when all the other peoples see you, they're going to say, what great nation is this that is so wise, that has a God like this, that basically gave us something that, watch this, and I do believe it's true. I'll just go and say that since God did that, he literally transformed education for everybody on the globe, and he did it through the giving of the Torah. And then why would he do that? Because he even commanded in the Torah that you are to write this down and teach it to your children. How are you going to write it down and teach it to your children when you need to memorize 2,500 different pictures to represent different languages and teach that to a five-year-old? So God made it more simple doing this through Moses and giving the Torah. Pretty fascinating, huh? 
when you put all that together. So for all of that, that's another reason why we should be saying, man, God, thank you so much for what you've done. That all of that, what you have written on paper in front of you and maybe electronically in your Bible and stuff can all be traced back to God saying, I want to give you truth. I want to give you knowledge. I want to give you a way to worship me, honor me, and live with each other and a way where you can teach it to everybody and the common person could come to understand it. That's pretty powerful. So for a lot of reasons, we should be saying hallelujah, amen? So I got this off of the internet. I'm not even going to tell you where I got it for fear that you might go there and peruse through their stuff, and it's a pretty dangerous place to be. But uh, their info here on Shavuot was pretty interesting, and the connection to them uh, believing, and it is Jewish, them uh, believing that this was the moment when God gave the Torah. And I do believe that it is the moment when God gave the Torah. There's reasons for that. So they've just got this little, and I'm going to want to read this, what I just copied and pasted off of it. It says, what exactly does does the Torah tell us about the giving of the Torah? Moses told the Israelites, only beware for yourselves and greatly beware for your souls, lest you forget the things that your eyes have beheld. Do not remove this memory from your heart all the days of your life. Teach your children and your children's children about the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. God, and this is from Deuteronomy 9, if you want to jot these down. Deuteronomy 9, I'm I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 13. Uh, It says, God spoke to you from the midst of the fire where you were hearing the word, the sound of words, but you were not seeing a form, only a sound. He told you of his covenant, instructing you to keep his Ten Commandments, and he inscribed them on two stone tablets. This is them kind of paraphrasing that passage. Also in Deuteronomy 4, 32-36, you have been shown in order to know that God, he is the supreme being. There is none besides him. From heaven, he let you hear his voice in order to teach you. And on earth, he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words amid the fire, in the midst of the fire. Also in Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 4, Moses called all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and the ordinance that I speak in your ears today. Learn them and be careful to proclaim them, to perform them. The Lord your God sealed a covenant with us at Horeb, or Mount Sinai. Not with our forefathers did God seal this covenant, but with us. We who are here, all of us alive today, face to face did God speak with you on the mountain from the midst of the fire. Then they've got this. Imagine, because there's a lot of people saying that this really didn't happen. Okay? That uh, this is just a metaphor and that God really didn't speak to the whole nation of Israel. It says, just imagine Moses coming down from the mountain and telling the Jewish people, we all heard God speak today from the midst of the fire, but it never really happened. (laughs) Um, What do you think would have happened? If it wasn't true, it might be the only time in history where you could get a whole group of Jews to agree And what would they have to agree on? We've been here all day, and then nothing ever happened. 
<laughs> Everyone would know that it was an outright preposterous lie. Um, it says there are hundreds if not thousands of religions based on God speaking to one person or a small group of people. Either it happened or it didn't happen. One can choose to believe or claim or not. However, there's only one religion that is based on God speaking to the whole people, Judaism. Which claim is stronger? Obviously, the more witnesses, the stronger the claim, and the harder to, con to collude to lie. The Torah is telling us that over three million people heard God speak at Sinai. And then it says this, did you ever try to get three Jews to agree on anything? Um, they go on with some more stuff here. I do believe that this was the moment, Shavuot weeks, when Israel was at the bottom of Mount Sinai and God spoke to them. Why? Why would I say that? Without getting to all the calculations and stuff, <clears throat> Israel left Egypt when? Passover. The morning, I'm at the morning of uh, unleavened bread. They had the Passover that night. Middle of the night, Pharaoh says, you guys get out of Dodge, get out of here, we don't want you, take everything, take the spoils, get out of town. They drive them out. They go out, they end up at the Red Sea, Pharaoh's chasing them, they cross the Red Sea, then they travel to Mount Sinai. They're there for a little while, God speaks to Moses, Moses tells the people, listen, you need to get ready and prepare yourself two full days because on the third day, God is going to reveal himself to us and speak to us. So all of that stuff had to take place for them to travel, for them to cross the Red Sea, for Pharaoh to chase them out, all of that, and then get there, have the discussion. God speak to Moses. Moses tell the people. They prepare themselves. And then he speaks to them. About 50 days. past that Passover event. It just seems incredibly logical to me that that's when it happened. So these, this Shavuot is, the, like I said, the second of the three feasts that men were supposed to travel and celebrate before God. Um, they, were, they were required to do it these three times. Now, I want you to consider this. You're going to have to jot these verses down, and I'll read them for us. It's in 1 Peter 2, verses 5 and 6. 1 Peter 2, 5 and 6. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Also jot down this one, second, uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. So it's also verse 9, 5 and 6 and 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 10 also says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So let's try to tie this together a little bit. 
Here, Peter is explaining that, at one, that what we are is that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, and that we belong to him for the purpose of proclaiming his excellence, right? And then he says, and once you were not a people, but now you are a people, and once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Did you know that that's straight out of the prophecy of Hosea? In Hosea, God told Hosea, I want you to go out and you're going to marry a temple prostitute. How'd you like to have that for your marching orders? Then he has children that aren't his children. And God tells him, this is what you're going to name these kids. Not my, not my people and no mercy. Because they were symptomatic of the people of the 10 tribes of Israel. So now Peter is saying, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Interesting, huh? He didn't pick that out of nowhere, out of thin air. He picked it for a reason. So you and I have been grafted into the people of Israel. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have. Once we were not really a people, but now we are God's people. Once we were alienated from God, but now we've been brought near. And so this being brought near is this what happened in Acts chapter 2 when God did what? He wrote his word on our hearts. And then that happens every single time when we come before God and say, I believe that Yeshua is the King of kings, Lord of lords, God of all gods, and I want him to be my Savior. And then he changes it from, from the inside out, right? And so then he, he does what? He writes his word on our hearts, which is exactly what happened at Mount Sinai. So <clears throat> I want to read this section so that we have all this in context out of Exodus 19. This is when it happened. In Exodus 19, starting with, it's the whole chapter and, and part of chapter 20. Because in chapter 20 is where he actually gives them the Ten Commandments themselves. And so I want to read this whole thing so that we get the whole picture. It says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Pause for a second. This threw me off once because it says after the third full third new moon. Well, uh, the first new moon would have been the month of Nisan. Okay, it's just counting it, and it's not saying that it was 90 days. You following all that? So let's just go on uh, with verse 2. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You almost have to just pause every other thought when you're reading Scripture, because he says, you are my treasured possession out of all the earth, and as a matter of fact, all the earth is mine. He's giving a little hint there to this bigger picture. And you shall become, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, that's what Peter called us. So was Peter just talking to Gentile believers with absolutely no connection to the people of Israel? No. 
But that's what we are, right? A holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came. He called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So he comes down and he says all these things and the people say, everything that God says, we're going to do it. Moses goes back up on the mountain. He says, hey, God, they all said, okay. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So he says, listen, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this in their sight so that they're going to believe you, Moses. When Moses heard the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people and you shall set limits for all the people, for the people all around saying, take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man. He shall not live. Do you see that? It says he shall be stoned or shot. He shall not live. Another interjection. Did you know that all the way around the, around the front there of the, the real Mount Sinai, they have also found pictures uh, of men with arrows, bow, with bow and arrow on the mountain around the edges? You think they're pictures of American Indians? What are they? Warning sign, you get past here, we'll kill you. <laughs> so God told Moses, make a border and tell the people, don't touch it. If you go up, you're either going to get stoned or shot. And they've actually found the warning signs. Isn't that amazing? Imagine that. So it says, when the trumpet sound, sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln or furnace. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves. Let the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down, 
and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he told them. Chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water beneath under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you are to do your labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who was within your gates." For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and that all is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land, and that your Lord your God, that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and stood far off. So here's the picture of all that that happened. God comes down on the mountain with fire and smoke and the sound of the trumpet. The people see this and feel it, and it scares them to death. In that process, it says that this trumpet sound went out and it grew louder and louder and louder. And evidently, while they're hearing this, they're hearing in their heart, I guess, in their ears, they're understanding the words and they're understanding these 10 commandments and that this is what happened on that day when God showed up and he gave them this word. And they basically say after that, we'll do it, but Moses, you speak to God, you be our go-between. We're too scared. We don't even want to hear that again. We don't want to experience that again. That's too much. That's, that's just too much. We don't want anyone to want to experience that again. You do it, and then you tell us what he said. Um, that's what happened at Mount Sinai. I've got this little note here. So what can we see here? Well, what we can see here is the story of Yahweh bringing the people out of Egypt and to his mountain, uh, his Mount Sinai where he spoke to them from the fire and gave them his commandments. And this scared them so badly, they asked Moses to speak to God for them. And so then what does this have to do with Shavuot? Well, not only is it believed that this feast is connected with the giving of the Torah, but however, it's, it's one of those um, feasts that, we, like I said, we don't have a date. So 
you don't really know exactly. And this is where this whole idea of doing it on the 6th of Savan, uh, while it does allow us to plan, uh, it takes away from the fact of being aware of God's calendar and listening to God instead of listening to man. And that's the weakness of doing it the way I've been doing it. Uh, because we're, we're forced into listening to man and watch this, and preparing ourselves way in advance, watch this, so that we don't have to make changes for God. In other words, we want it all planned out, right? We want everything all planned out. And so we, we have our calendars, you know, what it, we used to call them daytimers. Now it's a smartphone, you know. Uh, and, and we plan everything out, you know, so that we can uh, schedule vacations. And, and, I, and I get all of that. It's kind of just where we are. It's the, the nature of the beast, so to speak. Um, there's a part of me that's growing. There's a longing, let me say it this, there's a longing in me that is growing for the day when I can put aside all man-made garbage and just listen to God and be on God's calendar and be done with this stuff. Maybe it's my age. I'm getting tired. Uh, and I'm just ready to unplug and just be with God and on God's calendar with God's people and just forget everything else. And so the word of God says, don't ask that the day of the Lord come because it comes with great fire and death and destruction and all that. But there's this part of me that says, God, can we just go ahead and do this? Yeah. Uh, you know, can, can we just go ahead and do this and just let's get this over because I'm, I'm tired. Um, well, <laughs> um, so Shavuot revolves around, but we don't know when that's going to happen, right? We, we don't know the exact day or hour. Um, and the, the same thing is technically true with Shavuot, with Pentecost. Biblically speaking, we don't know until the barley harvest comes into Aviv in Israel and everything has been adjusted according to that uh, lunar and agricultural calendar on God's schedule. Um, you can't map it out. God can but he doesn't want us to map it out so, watch this, so far that we go, well, you know what, God, I'll be there on that day. Just don't, I'll be there on the 14th, but I can't be there on the, I can't be there on the 13th. I mean, I got a dentist appointment. Right? I mean, I can't be there on the 13th because I asked off on the 15th. That's how we think, but that's not how God operates. Um, so, um, let me just continue on here. It says, the Hebrew Bible does not associate any historical event with Shavuot. Um, it's not really listed. It is believed that it's connected with the giving of the Torah, but you really, if you're going to be biblically and intellectually honest, you can't nail it down to that 
without any debate. It seems obvious, but you really can't nail it down. Uh, although in later times it was connected with the revelation at Mount Sinai. The book of Exodus says that the revelation at Sinai took place shortly after the Israelites arrived in the Sinai desert sometime in the beginning of the third Hebrew month. Um, that's We already read that. Like Shavuot, the exact date of the revelation of Sinai is not specified. And it is extremely tempting to connect the two, isn't it? Because after all, that'll preach. I, I can make some sermons out of that. It'll preach. But we got to be careful. Let's be honest. We're, we're speculating. But, however, there are certain aspects of Shavuot and the giving of the Torah that I do believe that we could compare. You're going to need to make some notes. You don't have this. I've got eight things here that I thought would be good for us to remember or compare. Um, so... I've got some aspects of Shavuot and the giving of the Torah that, that we can compare or that we should compare. Number one, you can shorthand this however you want. Yes, it is a fact uh, that very close to the time, that it was very close to the time of the giving of the Torah. It was close to it, in other words. The number one thing is that it, it did happen close to that time. Number two, it is one of the three times of the year people were required to come before God. Um, therefore, it seems to be more than just a harvest celebration. So shop, we're told that in, in other words, so it, it's one of the three times you're, you're to meet with God in Jerusalem. So it's got to be more than just celebrating the harvest. That's my point. Um, the other times is Passover, right? Celebrating God, his deliverance of his people. The other time is Shavuot, which we really don't know what this is connected to, but it has to be, seems like, at Mount Sinai, watch this, at the birth of the nation of Israel. When God said, you are now my people, my treasured possession of all the people, even though I own the whole earth. And he birthed them, why? To be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging him, to him to do what? To proclaim who God is. That's what he said. Uh, so it just seems obvious that, uh, that that would be the case. And then tabernacles is still future. It's celebrating being with God. It's at the end of all the feasts, getting past the day of trumpets and the day of judgment and then hallelujah, the day, you know, the day of atonement. And then here we are celebrating being with God. And it's them remembering God taking them through the wilderness for 40 years. And they, they lived in tents, temporary dwellings, but God took care of them. Their shoes didn't wear out and he gave them manna to eat. He cracked the stone in the desert and gave them water. He took care of them for 40 years out in the wilderness. And so it's, a, it's looking back to that and celebrating it until the moment when they finally do come into the land. Number three, these three feasts were to be before uh, Yahweh at the tabernacle or temple, the place where he dwelt. And so it's there where God dwells, where the priestly uh, service was happening, and in particular there in Jerusalem. Uh, and he says, you're going to come here, and this is one of those three times. So it's all that seems to be connected to the Torah is what I'm getting at. Number four, um, 
the giving of the Torah was and is so important that he declared in the last days he would write his Torah on our hearts in the renewed covenant. That's in Jeremiah 31, 31. But uh, the number four I've got this. The giving of the Torah is so important that in the new covenant, or technically it really should be renewed covenant. Um, but in, in the new covenant, he says, at that time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write it on your hearts. It's not going to be written with stone or ink. I'm going to write it on your hearts. Um, Number five, it was during this feast in Acts chapter two that the spirit of Yahweh was poured out. So in Acts, number, number two is, would be that Acts chapter two is when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people. Um, and this, uh, uh, it was poured out on the worshipers in Jerusalem in fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, which Peter preached about, and about 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom that day. So... Uh, there is a fulfillment of this that happened, or at least a partial fulfillment of it that happened in Acts chapter 2. We'll read that in there in a second. Uh, number six, shortly after Yahweh spoke with the people, uh, to the people, Moses went up to the mountain to receive the Torah on tablets. But while he tarried, the people rebelled and made a golden calf um, in the judgment of Yahovah, about 3,000 souls died that day. So here's another connection between Pentecost, Shavuot, and the giving of the Torah. So what happens? Moses comes down. They have this experience. They say, we're going to do it. We're too scared. Moses goes back up on the mountain with Aaron. They have this big meeting. They have this... Uh, they end up going up there with, he goes back down, they get 70 of the elders, they, go, they have a meal with God. They go back down and God, had, God has showed Moses all this stuff about the tabernacle and all these law, all these rules on how the priests were to be dressed, what they were to do to build the tabernacle. All that stuff happens and then Moses goes back up on the mountain. This is many chapters later. He goes back up on the mountain to actually get the two tablets. Takes him about a month. After all of that, and he's going up there to actually get the Torah, what happens? Moses died. What are we going to do? Make us a calf. Okay. They do the exact thing that God said not to do because they got scared that Moses was dead. They, he went up there. See, that's why we didn't want to talk to God. He went up there and God killed him. He, you know, he shouldn't have done that. That's, that was their reasoning. So they wanted another mediator to replace Moses. Make us a calf. The calf will lead us like Moses was leading us. That was, the idea, that was their idea. So Moses comes back down, smashes the tablets, and what happens? About 3,000 people perished in that event of making the calf. And in Acts chapter 2, about 3,000 souls were saved. It, the connection between and this and the Acts chapter 2 event happened at what time? Pentecost, Shavuot. It seems pretty clear that there's a strong connection between Shavuot and the giving of the Torah and the giving of God's law and God writing his law on our hearts. It's kind of hard to get around all that. Uh, number seven, this one's fascinating. Shavuot, Pentecost. Do you know it's actually referred to by the Orthodox as a wedding between God and his people? The Orthodox Jewish people see Shavuot 
And what happened at the base of Mount Sinai as their wedding? Getting married to God. They made a covenant with God. Remember, it was a blood covenant. And if any of us break this covenant, let happen to us what happened to the bull that gave us the blood for this covenant. And Israel kept breaking the covenant. And that's when God what? Said he gave Israel, the 10 northern tribes, a certificate of divorce. The connection here between them and being married to God is, is very, very strong and not in just one place. And it's not just rabbinical, but the very orthodox Jewish people to this very day, that is actually how they see it uh, because that's what the scripture says. Well, we as believers are what? Kind of still connected with this idea of marriage. We're waiting for what? The marriage supper of the lamb, right? The, be married to the, to the bridegroom when Yeshua comes back. <clears throat> um, number eight, this is the last one here. The story of Ruth is read during Shavuot every year uh, around the world. And it's read because it takes place during the spring harvest. And it's the story of a Gentile convert to Judaism. Imagine that. And she's being brought into the very lineage of King David. Do you realize that? And she's brought in how? By her kinsman redeemer, Boaz. You got the whole shoe thing that they went through. And uh, we don't have time to chase that story, but... She comes back with her mother-in-law. She's a Moabite woman. Uh, and her kinsman, redeemer, Boaz, you know, falls in love with her, takes her in, you know, buys the land, all, all that stuff. And Ruth becomes in the, she, she's part of the lineage of King David. She's a Moabite woman. And if that's the case, she's also in the lineage of who? Yeshua. You see, God is in the business of bringing all people into his kingdom, not just quote-unquote Jews. Um, I've got this note. It's imperative to understand that what Yehovah gave the people that day was his instructions on how to live and to worship him. It's his teachings and instructions on life and worship. It was a blessing and still is. We also should be excited about the day when Yahweh took his written, what was written on stone tablets and wrote them on our hearts, that we may be able to come together before him in spirit and truth and based on love, not legalism. Um, so I, I mentioned this before, um, that there, it's hard to find any Christian teacher, any that won't say that Acts chapter 2 was the time when the, the, the church was birthed uh, because that's when everybody received the Holy Spirit. Well, once again, there's a little problem with that. Uh, I don't think you have this in your notes. Uh, you can write this down, John chapter 20, verse 19. So, I mean, if this is the time when everybody received the Holy Spirit and it is the quote-unquote birth of the church, then... What is all this other stuff about? In John chapter 20, verse 
19 through 22, I'm sorry, 19 through 22. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the, uh, saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father have sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say, uh-oh, <laughs> right? Because everybody wants to think and say that, you know, that's when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and so that was the birth of the church. It's because we, we pick and choose because it fits in our theology, and, man, it'll preach. And, you know, it, we, we like things real nice and neat. What happened at the, at the event there in Acts chapter 2 was powerful, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people, yes, but it was a fulfillment of Shavuot. And it was a fulfillment of what was spoken of by Joel, the prophet, and Peter preaches on that. And he says, this is what's happening. This isn't really the birth of the church. This is the fulfillment of God saying that we would all prophesy. And when did it happen? Pentecost. On the day of Shavuot. On the day of Pentecost. I'm sorry, but, you know, when you really start reading the scriptures for what they say and it messes up your theology, then it messes up all your Jesus movies. It messes up all your left behind books. It messes up all that stuff. Sonia and I now, you know, we get out, you know, during, you know, Passover. Let's watch our Jesus movies. Let's watch, you know, A.D., you know, Roma Downey Jr., you know, and all, you know, the, the movies that they made and everything. We're sitting there going, well, that's wrong. Well, nuts. Well, man, well, that's wrong. Wow, that's really off, you know? And, and you go, I used to really like that, you know? And now you're going, well, oh, it's, it's just not, it's not correct. Um, so uh, it, it was a fulfillment of Joel. Peter preaches on it. It's a fulfillment of what uh, Pentecost or Shavuot was supposed to be about, about God. Uh, writing his word on our hearts when we came to receive him. Uh, and it's also a fulfillment, watch this, of what happened at Mount Sinai. People talk about, and I'm, this isn't to bash speaking in tongues. There's a prayer language that Paul talks about, all that. I'm not trying to just bash Pentecostals, but we take stuff out of context and we say, well, that's, a, that's Pentecostal. Well, no, it's not. What happened at Pentecost was exactly what happened at Mount Sinai because they're sitting there going, wait a minute, I'm hearing them speak in our languages. And it gives all these different countries where these people were from. But these people were actually speaking as the Spirit was giving them utterance and they were speaking, watch this, a known language. It wasn't a prayer language. It was a known language. And they were, they were speaking the truth about Yeshua and God revealing himself through Yeshua. Right? And people, were, they were like, they, they gotta be, what's going on? These guys got to be drunk. Peter goes, they're not drunk. This is the fulfillment of Joel when he said, your young men will dream dreams and your, you know, their, their people will prophesy. And all that. This is what's happening because Yeshua died and he is the Messiah, and he rose again. We can all testify to that. We'll get to that in just a second. It's a fulfillment of that prophecy when God said, look, this is what I'm doing, and watch this. Moses, I'm going to do this in the sight of all the people so that they will believe you. 
What happened there in Pentecost? They're sitting there going, we came here to worship, and we're surrounded with, I'm going to use these terms, we're surrounded with Jews, and uh, I'm hearing a Parthian language. I'm hearing Persian language. I'm hearing Greek. I'm hearing, and they're hearing it in perfect dialect. So, in other words, they would even understand me. <laughs> right? I mean, it, it would be like me hearing somebody talk in Texan, not just English. If You know, go to Scotland and try to understand what they're saying. They say it's the same language. I'm like... No, you need to come to Texas where we talk normal, right? That's what they were experiencing. Why? Because God did that in the sight of all, just like with Moses, so that people would believe the apostles that what they were saying was the truth. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. So let's just read this, uh, because then Jesus does talk about this. In Acts chapter 1, Verses three through five. It wouldn't be fair if we wouldn't just tie all this together. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during what? 40 days. And then he's going to tell them to now go wait. It's going to end up being 50 days. It's going to happen at Pentecost at Shavuot. And speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What promise? The promise of the fulfillment of Pentecost and the promise of the fulfillment of Joel when the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he says, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So that's a moment when they were literally baptized with the Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit came on them in power and they were able to explain the truth of the gospel in languages that people understood from all over the world. That's powerful, isn't it? So Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. He prophesies, this is what's going to happen. Um, this is a note that I put down here. I would not call this event the birth of the church because that makes some sort of distinction between something new called the church and Israel. You see, there's a reason why for nearly 2,000 years now, Christian doctrine has said, Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the church. Now God's doing something new. It's tied to replacement theology, which leads to anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, which is demonic and straight out of the pit of hell. Why? Because Satan hates the, hates the Jew. Why does he hate the Jew? Because God said, I'm going to do this through the Jew, and I'm going to prove that I'm God through the Jew and through the nation of Israel. And you're going to hate them so bad, you're going to try to annihilate them over and over and over again. But you're not going to be able to. Um, I got ahead of myself once again. This thought process is a product of the devilish lie of replacement theology. This Acts 2 event is the start of fulfillment of Yahweh's promise to bring all nations under His rule and into His kingdom. It was also according to Yeshua, the fulfillment of the promise of the Father spoken by the prophet Joel. It was also a prophetic picture of the future event 
when everyone on earth will know Yahweh is the one true Elohim, creator of the universe, and he will give everyone a pure tongue and be able to call upon him and worship him in perfect unity and harmony. That's still to come. So then let's read this uh, in Acts chapter 2. I cut it up just a little bit. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You kind of have to read that. Then we'll jump ahead to verse 14. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I got to stop. <clears throat> so this is what, I'm, you have to interact. This is what holiday? It's okay to say it out loud. It, it's Shavuot. This is one of the times that they were supposed to be where? In Jerusalem. And they were supposed to be worshiping before who? B- b- before God, before Yahweh himself, right? And so the scripture says that they were in a house or the house. How many times have you heard that when the spirit of fire came on them and they were speaking in tongues, they were in the upper room, right? So they were, they were, in, they were in the upper room evidently and the Holy Spirit, this was in the, the show, we just, we watched it. I'm sitting there going, this didn't even look, that even looks dumb. Okay, they're in, the, they're in the upper room and tongues of fire come on them. And so they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the whole city is mesmerized because this happened to them in secret. Right? Because we're told that there's all these people seeing it happen. 3,000 come to Christ about that one day. What house could they have possibly been in sitting and worshiping? They would be in the house, God's house, not an upper room. You see how this replacement theology just keeps seeping in to our under, what we think we understand about the Bible. It just says they were in the house. Previously, it talks about them being in an upper room praying. And then it says, and then on the day of Pentecost, when it arrived, they were all in one place. They're, everybody's there. They're in the house. And man, boom, it happens. Why would God do the fulfillment of Shavuot in secret? Up in an attic somewhere. Paul joke. Uh, you know, the, the upper room. Uh, he would do it in his house, right? He would do it in his house. It's a fulfillment of his prophecy of what he did at his house at Mount Sinai. <laughs> He's not going to do it in just some little upper room hidden from everybody. Um, let's jump down to verse 14. It says, but they're all seeing this. They're going, Man, these people got to be drunk. So Peter in verse 14 says, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. So he's saying that in an upper room in a house somewhere. See what I'm saying? Well, you just have to read all this in context and you have to try to remove yourself from this other junk and that's hard to do. 
I get it. It's hard. He, he lifts men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and on your sons and your, da and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the, uh, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon uh, to blood before the day of the Lord comes, great, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So right here, Peter is saying this is connected. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. But did you pick up also there that he also connects it with what? The very end of all things. Meaning this is the start of it, but the final fulfillment of it won't be until the great and awesome day of the Lord and this day of judgment that's going to be filled with fire and smoke and blood and all this stuff, which is also a picture of God showing up on Mount Sinai, fire and smoke and trembling, and he goes, you don't come before me except on my terms or you die. Everybody wants to come before some God that they claim is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they want to come before him on their terms to this very day. A church in America that prays for the American president and he comes under fire for it from his own congregation. The list goes on and on and on of everybody that wants to come before God, but they're demanding to come before God on their terms. And God goes, no, you're my chosen people. I brought you out of Egypt and I brought you here. But if you touch my mountain, I will kill you. I brought you deliverance, grace, and mercy in my truth. Don't cross the line. <laughs> Why? Because he's a holy God for crying out loud. He's not a puppet. He's not... <sighs> he's not the genie from Aladdin. Conclusion. We should celebrate this day with the recommitment to study the whole word of God with all our hearts and be so very grateful for his instructions, his grace, his mercy, and most of all for his deliverance and forgiveness. Did you know that when the people celebrate Sukkot, I mean uh, Shavuot, uh, Pentecost to this day, and they, they really celebrate. Um, I was actually watching a live messianic, uh, live stream messianic uh, celebration in Israel, celebrating Shavuot today. Fascinating. People celebrating, praying to God, calling out to God, 
recommitting their lives to the study of God's word, recommitting their lives to God and to God alone. Powerful. I was like, oh, I wish I could have been there with them. All in Hebrew, I would have picked up about 2%. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Uh, But I went, went, that that is so cool. Um, And the Jewish people, the Orthodox Jewish people, see it as the giving of the Torah and the recommitment of saying, we will get remarried, God. We're, we're recommitting our vows. We're redoing our vows. We will study the Torah. We will study your word. We will follow your word. We will glorify you. It's at least what they're saying you know, in their minds and their hearts. Uh, and many of us have it messed up, Amen. We're all looking through the glass dimly. We're doing the best we can with what we know. But those of us that believe in Yeshua and we have the Holy Spirit on us and in us, we should be recommitting our lives to the study of the whole Word of God and to bring glory to God and to be grateful for His grace and mercy and bringing us out of deliverance. If you're here today and you believe in Yeshua as your Savior, He brought you out of an Egypt. that had you in bondage. And the only thing that was waiting you was death and destruction. And he took what had you in bondage and said, I will conquer that, and I have conquered that, and I'm going to set you free, and I'm going to bring you before me, and I'm gonna, now I'm going to write my word on your heart. And you will desire to do it. And folks, that is why Yeshua said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's why the apostle John said in 1 John that those that don't keep it don't know him. Those that continue to sin simply don't know him. When you know God and God is in you and God has written his word on your heart, then it breaks your heart when you break it. If it doesn't break your heart, that should be your red flag. I've got a problem. I have no conscience. I have no, I don't care. It doesn't, it doesn't keep me up at night. I don't weep over my own sin. That should scare us. But when it does, that means that, yes, God wrote his word on our hearts, and we should be saying, wow, thank you that you brought me to Mount Sinai. And even though there are times when I hear your voice, it scares me. Even when we're saved, right? And you go, whoa, you know, really hope I'm doing this. I really hope I'm walking the right way. I I can't be the only one in this room that ever says to myself, sweet Jesus, help me. I hope I'm not really messing this up because the older I get, the more flaws I see. And it just just, seems to get uglier and uglier instead of easier and easier. Um, so we should be, you know, praising him for his deliverance and his forgive, for his forgiveness. As the Hebrews prepared themselves to be ready for that third day when Yahovah spoke. Did y'all catch that? He said, you go down there and you tell the people to prepare themselves for two days because on the third day, that's when I'm going to show up. And Yeshua's been gone how long? Once again, he's been gone two days. Because Scripture says that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord and a day is like a thousand years. And he was in the ground three days and three nights just like 
He let, oh, uh, Jonah be three days and three nights. Why would he do that? Well, because he's constantly painting a picture because I need pictures. It's harder for me to read, so just give me a picture. So he tells him, get ready and prepare yourself because on the third day, I will show myself to you and speak to them. So we've been told all through the New Testament to what? Be in the process of preparing ourselves to meet our Savior. Purifying ourselves, making ourselves right before God, washing ourselves, cleansing ourselves. In, in Ephesians, it talks about the washing of the water of the word, making ourselves like a pure bride ready to meet her husband. That's who we are. And so God is saying, get ready because on the morning of that third day, that's when I'm going to show up and I will speak to you. And you need to have yourself ready for that day. We should be doing the same thing for that third day when Yeshua shows up. And how's he going to come? We're told, right? He's going to come with what? The shout of an archangel and what? A trumpet blast. So he's going to come the exact same way when he comes on the morning of that third day. So if we're dealing with a thousand years, a morning could be whatever, right? I mean, I may not be here when that morning bell rings. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, because a hundred years into it, it's still early morning is what I'm getting at. But he's going to come with the shout of the archangel and a trumpet call of God, and he's going to declare himself as what? The one and only true God of all gods. What happened at Mount Sinai? I proved that I'm the one and true God of all gods. I whipped all of Egypt's gods. I have now birthed you as my nation among all the people, and I'm going to give you my Torah, and I'm going to give you the alphabet, and I'm going to change humanity, and I'm going to change education. Why? Because I want everybody to know who I am, and I'm going to bless you, and this Torah and this alphabet and this learning and following me is your blessing, is your truth, is your true wisdom, and I'm even going to paint a picture because I'm going to send my Messiah through you and I'm going to do it again and again and again. And when he comes, it's going to be a picture again of what happened at Mount Sinai when I said, there is no other God like me, none. I'm the God of all gods, the King of kings, Lord of all lords. Any other God out there that wants to pro proclaim he is a God, well, guess what? He ain't. And there's a final day coming after the third day when it'll all be made right. Because even during that period between when he spoke, Moses goes up on the mountain, they messed up. So we got a thousand years of Yeshua reigning and ruling on the earth. We call that the millennial kingdom. And at the end of that time, Satan will be released and there will be a multitude of people on this earth that will rebel against Yeshua, even though he's been physically on the earth for a thousand years. Even though they saw the miracles, they walked through the Red Sea 
a wall of water. They walked through it. They saw him talk from the mountain. They heard his voice in their head and in their hearts. Scared them so bad they thought they would die. Moses goes up. He doesn't come down. Make us a calf. We haven't changed. And that's why it is extremely important for those of us that say we believe in Yeshua to prepare ourselves for his return because he is coming. And he's probably coming in a way that we don't expect. And it might mess up our theology. Because he says, you're not going to know the day or the hour, but you need to be ready. Folks, we just, we need to recommit, if you will, ourselves to God and the study of his word so that we can bring glory and honor to his name. It is getting close. We're an hour and a half away, Texas time, but it's really Israeli time, right? Uh, For the feast of Shavuot, the giving of the Torah, the giving of his word to us personally, to us collectively, to us giving his word, which Jesus is what the word made flesh. So he is the Torah made flesh. And we take him in and we want to glorify him. It's, I think, our calling, to conclude this tonight, to uh, recommit ourselves to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love each other as we love ourselves, Uh, to work at bringing glory and honor to God's name. And uh, here's the hard part. Follow God even when that messes with your theology. Because we've been lied to for so long that has infiltrated every single person in this room except these younger ones. And you hear it every day. It's in all those Jesus movies. I call them Jesus movies. It's in all of them. Now knowing it, when you start watching them, you go, oh, wow. Yeah, well, it's replacement theology. And that's where it comes from. So the hard part is going to be trying to get that out of your head and to follow God even when it goes against what you were told. Because once again, nobody in this room, myself included, we really don't want to hear the truth. What we want to hear is what we already believe is the truth. That's what we want to hear. (laughs) Because to find out that what you believe isn't the truth is very, very difficult. And you feel like you're starting all over. Well, I think God is shedding the shackles and removing the scales from our eyes and our hearts, revealing his truth to us because he's coming back soon. And he doesn't want us to be fooled and deceived. Um, He loves you very much. He's whistling for us to come to him uh, and to glorify him. And I'm I'm proud to do this walk with you. Um, Honored that you let me do this. I'm still sometimes baffled but uh, honored that you let me do this with you.